I have here with me uh, Noah Revoy, and he is a coach and mentor. You've probably seen him on Twitter at various times and places. Uh, he's He helps, has a lot of experience helping people reduce anxiety, become better spouses and partners and parents to help develop their relationships. And today we're going to talk about vetting women for marriage. When you're looking for a wife, what do you want to look for? How do you know someone is marriage material? And how long is it going to take you to find that out? Or how long should it take you to find that out? Uh, you can find uh, Noah at uh, Coach Noah, Noah Revoy uh, on Twitter. And if you go to NoahRevoy.com, uh, you can uh, schedule a call with him and find out what he's all about. So, Noah, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for setting this up and inviting me. Yeah, I I think this is an important topic, and I think you have a lot of experience to help sort through the signal from the noise, so to speak. Yeah, you know, I people talk about vetting, and the fact is, is we used to know how to vet. That was part of family knowledge that families passed on from generation to generation. A lot of what I use to vet women uh, and to help my clients to vet their spouses, and even to help my female clients vet men, I actually learned from my great-grandparents. And they learned it from their parents, and they learned it from their parents going back, who knows, thousands of generations. And so we have, you know, it's, this is ancient wisdom. And I remember my great-grandmother telling me that she was very frustrated with my grandmother's generation the boomer generation because they just ignored all of the ancient wisdom that they were shared that was shared with them and decided to start all over again from scratch and i remember her saying in in her age that young women at 16 were completely prepared to be wives and mothers not necessarily that they would get married that young but they knew how to do it they were their education in that area was complete. And she said, this was in the late eighties. I think she said to me, and nowadays women never come to that level that was considered normal when she was 16. And she said, it's the same across almost every single family. The ancient wisdom was forgotten and in its place was replaced with commercial ideas of what is romance. You know, it's disnified as we like to say, and what is, um, really an emotions-based decision-making process versus something which is both emotional and rational. You can't go 100% rational either. Emotions are important, and they do tell you important things. But you have to make a decision using that mixture of logic and emotions because in the end, you have to live with the person, and you're not always going to like them, and you – you're not always going to enjoy being with them, and yet you have to continue to love them and to maintain that relationship for the rest of your lives. Right. That's why I make the promise, right? Because the promises or the covenant is lasts a lot longer than our emotions, or at least it's supposed to. Um, and exactly. I think you mentioned, I think you mentioned something very important. These these things we want to talk about are not things that we have just come up with on our own they have been passed down and they are time tested. And as Noah said, he learned them 
did you say your great grandfather or grandfather? My, it was actually uh, my my great grandfathers died. I was too young to get a lot of verbal knowledge from them, but my great grandmothers um, they passed on that knowledge. And my family actually wrote down. We had formal written rules that you had to follow if you wanted to get married in the family and continue to be part of the tribe. So we were uh, a Germanic Christian, well, so, sort of Christian, um, very, very primitive type of Christian tribe. And we stayed apart from the rest of the people. Um, and there was, there was several hundred of us. Uh, when the family would get too big, they would split. So that kept happening over time. But they had, for 450 years, kept very detailed records of what was essentially a program of eugenics, you might call it, but it was a program of choosing the best possible spouses for the family and everything they learned. There is, it is impossible for us to beat 450 years of wisdom, and it was built on whatever was previous to that as well. They had it in a large book, and they had rules. Um, the rules that they had, I incorporate into how I help young people vet uh, vet women and men today, the methods of vetting are now different because times have changed. The skills that a woman used to have to have a hundred years ago are not the same skill set she needs now. It's unlikely she needs to know how to say, you know, cook on an open fire and that kind of stuff. But the the basic concepts and principles are exactly the same, and they're timeless. They go back to back to primitive humanity. We had to have the same things. We are not that much different than our ancestors. The world we live in is, but we're not. Yeah, I definitely want to touch on that eventually too. The difference between back then and our now industrialized technological society, because there are differences in application uh, and in its manifestations for sure. Um, that's interesting that your family had a book. It's like they took this actually seriously and not just something that was flippant. So. Yeah, it was, this is how the words they used to describe it. It was proper breeding. It was like a, it was like a stud book for horses. And I know a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of people tell us that's, that's not very romantic. No, it isn't. But it produced a generation of people where the average IQ is about 140 that easily learn multiple languages. My great uncle could learn a language in about a month living in the country where that language was spoken. And as an example, he was, he was the more traveled one. They spoke languages like ancient Greek and Hebrew. They translated um, documents in archeological sites. They had adventures all over the world. These were, they all lived close to be a hundred years old and they, they would choose specific things. The, generation starting in my grandmother's generation was supposed to be breeding in height they had that written in the book we need to add height because <laughs> they tended to be on the short side they very brilliant live a long time um very good at making money uh very wise they were more of a i, I would call them a, an extremely spiritually developed family they were I, I say in my family they were the priests my father's side was the warriors and they were the priests mm -hmm. and they said, oh, need to need to add height. We're getting a little on the short side. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's compensate for that now. Yeah. Yeah. We've, yeah. Got, look, we've look, gotten good look. in these areas. <laughs> yeah. Let's marry off our daughters to tall men and, and our sons to tall women now. Got to get yeah. that going. Right. All right. So um, 
before we dig in deep, uh, anyone who has any questions, feel free to just raise your hand and we'll, we'll try to take questions as we go. But Noah, if let's, let's take a, a young man who's, who's 20 years old or something early twenties, whatever. And he, that's a great age. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wants to get started. He's serious about finding a wife. What should he do? First thing you have to understand is, so I'm going to go over a lot of generalizations here and it's up to the listener to apply them in their specific cases. One of the problems with generalizations is that they're very difficult for the immature brain to accept. Uh, They always want to look for some sort of an exception. Now, in this conversation, if you hear, in general, this works, or if you hear that um, something like I I talk about the value of beauty, and you say, but I know some ugly people who are really nice, that desire to knock salt you need to mark out where that happens because that's an area where you have not got full mature development in. So that subject, there's something there that you haven't come to a full understanding of it. And that's where you want to work on because otherwise it'll come back to bite you later. And it's, it's always, always a person that has a deficiency in the era area finds that area painful to talk about. And that's good. The pain is there to let you know you need to develop more in that area. But the first thing I, I want to say for these young men, the, the better your family is supporting you, the younger you should get married. So if you have a fantastic mother and father and they're supporting your emotional and mental development and, and you're 20 years old and you are truly a man, there are, there are men who are 20 years old, they're a man, a real man. And there are guys who are 40 and they're still a child or a boy, an adult boy. So if you're really a man at 20, you're ready to get married. And I don't see a lot of advantage in waiting if marriage and children is your goal. The other hand, if you didn't get the childhood that you should have gotten and you're missing some of your development, don't despair. A year or two, catch up what you missed. But don't for a woman until you start on that process. The two things can happen in parallel you need at least need to start on that process of getting what you missed because i've seen what happens to men who are immature and married it's very difficult for them it's difficult for their spouse sometimes damage is done that's possible pair to the marriage and it's much better to start off in the right foot but the first thing that a young man needs to look for to look for a woman that he finds attractive a lot of people say that that's very shallow but it's not the reason is, is attraction is the easiest thing to measure. You know if a woman's attractive or not. You don't need to talk to her even to know that. Although sometimes that can turn you off when she starts. But it's also, it's a bare minimum. It's just, this is not enough. You know, no, on the other hand, no woman wants to be married to a man who doesn't find her attractive. So by choosing a woman that you find attractive, and this is the key, it's you find attractive. I might not find her attractive. You might find her attractive. That's that's the key there. You're also going to be with a woman that is not. You're not going to resent for her uh, lack of attraction, and she's not going to feel uh, that she's not good enough. And this is a very very important place to get started. Plus, the reality is, your it, it's called the sexual marketplace. Sexuality has a lot to do with choosing spouses. It's a God given gift to help humans, to drive them towards mating and reproduction and pair bonding. 
So if you don't have that drive there because you're not attracted to the woman, you're missing out on a core element of what it means to be in a marriage. That's in case you have anything to say about keeping some spaces. Yeah, no, that's, that's all a good point. Now, to emphasize specifically that every woman wants to be desired mm-hmm. by the man that she has chosen. And if you don't, that you're just asking for trouble. Now, for women, this sometimes is difficult because when a man, uh, I'll tell you a secret, ladies. Most men find most women attractive. Okay, If a woman is young and healthy, she's almost certainly attractive to men, to the majority of men. Because women don't find most men attractive, women only find 10, 20% of men attractive. And because for women, physical attraction isn't the primary driver of sexual attraction. It's part of it, but it's not the primary one. Women are okay with a man that they don't find to be beautiful or attractive. And so women sometimes project that onto men and say, well, why why does she have to be attractive? And they also think, at some point, I will get old, and then I won't be attractive, and then he won't like me anymore. And that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. This is only to initiate. You know, if you find your wife attractive when you're both young, at 20 years old, and you, fall, you get married and you fall in love, you're still going to find her attractive when you're 80. But if you don't find her attractive at 20, it's unlikely that you'll find her attractive at any point after that. So we're talking about the initial part of the relationship. Now, the other thing is, is that beauty itself is a virtue. If you're a Christian, you're probably familiar with the descriptions of heaven. And it's always described as an incredibly beautiful place. Why? Because God appreciates beauty. He created the world in a beautiful way. That's a demonstration of the value of that beauty. And our own personal appearance sends a message. So if we take care of ourselves, it tells the things to, the, to others about who we are. The other thing is, is that uh, studies have shown that it's basically a measure of health. It's a measure of mental health, physical health, and I would say even spiritual health because the appreciation for beauty is um, that aesthetic appreciation, the desire to, within whatever genetics and whatever God gave you, the ability to make yourself look Uh, beautiful has a spiritual element to it as well i think in all ways it's an excellent measure of a person's maturity and development if they take care of their appearance the problem is is that a lot of young guys today they have this porn brain so they don't even know what's attractive they're attracted to insincerity and basically what our grandfathers would have called prostitutes And this is a huge problem because men have been cultured away from true beauty. The idea that these, you know, plastic-lipped, shiny, sorry, but whores, basically, are are what gets them going when, in reality, uh, those kind of women don't generally, those kind of women don't make good wives. They don't make good mothers. They're not going to go past the attractive. Frankly, most of them are so broken, you won't get along with them. Yeah, and a lot of them have been catechized by movies where the ideal woman is not the ideal woman in real life. Um, and they have warped their affections 
in the wrong way and even worse with, with porn. Um, but it's interesting. You talk about beauty as well, because beauty, you, we've all heard the phrase beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And in one sense, that's true. And there is room for preferences, but beauty is an objective thing. Like you said, it is a virtue. It can be measured. Your taste can be corrupted and warped away from it. Um, the Bible talks about, for example, Abigail, when she confronts David, it says she is, was a beautiful woman. So there was something about her where that was true and it could be measured and evaluated. And so when we talk about beauty, there is an objective measurement of that. Absolutely. And there's the reason that it's subjective is because it is a signal and signals are either true or false. And so the signal is telling us this person is healthy. Now, an easy way, look at an Antifa lineup for the, you know, when they get arrested after a riot and look at those people's faces, that's the extreme end of the ugly spectrum. Okay. What do you think those people's mental and spiritual condition is? And much of their appearance is chosen. Like nobody makes them dye their hair blue and purple and other things. Nobody makes them get weird face tattoos and other stuff. They are choosing to signal ugliness because they're ugly inside. Now I have seen people who have been not, have not been blessed with the best genetics in the world, but they take good care of themselves and they're beautiful on the inside and it shines through. Sometimes it doesn't, shine through so well in a photo but you meet them and you're like wow that that girl really punches above her weight like you 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 meet her and she's charming and she seems far and i've seen guys do the same thing guys that are not particularly attractive but they're far more charming than you would think and and so beauty is not just something physical on the outside it shines through if it's on the inside it shines through to the outside and this is this is why we're attracted to it. we're not attracted to it for no reason that, that was created in us it's natural and you'll also see beauty isn't just your 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 face or how you appear it's how you choose to decorate yourself how you choose to live you know uh, if you notice a woman's got a car and you see it's an absolute wreck it's filthy inside she doesn't take care of it um, you know you you go to her house and it's a mess and it's ugly. That's what you're going to live in. If you're okay with a woman who doesn't care about beauty, if she cares about beauty, you're going to get to live in that. And, you know, men, we, we value that lifestyle of being around and with beautiful things. We value women for beauty because it's pleasurable. It's enjoyable. And it's, it's fine to try to pretend otherwise and to joke with ourselves, but there comes a point where we can't ignore that anymore and we get resentment. And this is why it's not a good idea for men to pick women they're not attracted to. The other thing is to, to look, is she, she might be attractive now. What's her habits like, you know, look at her mother. What's her genetics like? Is her mother still taking care of herself? Is she attractive? Does the girl have good health habits? Does she have good, uh, caring for her, she caring for herself properly. 
but who can't care for herself will not be able to care for a house and children and a husband. And so you want to look for that. And that's all very easy to see. Once you understand how human beings work, you can, you can judge a woman on these things in seconds. And most women know whether they're attracted to a woman in less than 10 seconds. It takes less than 10 seconds to know what's an attractive woman. Now, the primary thing, by the way, of that is um, a, a good friend of mine, Leela Tomsone, she had a great chart that she shared with me a while back. 89%, I think it was, of a woman's attractiveness, what kind of physical shape she's in, like how, how she's taking care of her body, basically. So it's, it's very, very controllable. Um, beauty is not, is not something that you, oh, I didn't get born with it. I'm, I'm, it's nothing I can do. No, it's very much the result of a bunch of choices you make over years. Yeah. And I think that's one point is to marry based on potential too, and the trajectory of the woman you're attracted to. Um, because she's going to change. You're going to change. You are not going to be the same people, but you want to be going in a positive direction. Um, yeah, absolutely. Any 20, most 20 year old women can eat garbage and still be gorgeous. Uh, they can't do that at 30 and 40 years old. They need to, they need to have better habits. And yes, people can change their habits, but generally people change for the worse, not for the better. So, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't marry a woman thinking you can change her the same way that women shouldn't marry men thinking they can change them. You know, look to what you've got and what direction she's already going. Right. So let's, let's say. Let's go on. Yeah. So let's say so, you've attracted, you're attracted to a woman. You've gone on a few dates. And how do you know if you want to go on more? <laughs> Is this well, going anywhere? Yeah. Here, here's the question. Do you get along with her? And yeah, the first couple of dates, your only objective is to measure how well you get along and do you have fun. Did I enjoy this? Do I want to do this again? If you go on a date with a girl and you think, I do not want to see that girl again, you don't need to overthink it. That's enough. Just don't see her again. But if you enjoy, then go back on a second and third date. But there is a point of diminishing returns. You can't date a woman on you know, entertaining dates over and over and over again and continue to learn new things. Because you need to, at some point, find out how well you get along, not just under fun, but under stress. So how well do you get along when there's some sort of stress where things don't go right, um, where things aren't perfect, or where you have some sort of a task that you have to accomplish together that requires you to work together and accomplish a goal. So a lot of people think this is why you should live together. The, the, the second argument, the first argument is about sexual compatibility, which is not, not an argument. We can discuss that later. But the second one is, well, how do you know if the two of you can work together and get along? And they assume that the only way you can do that is if you live together. And this is because they don't have a good system for vetting the ability for you to cooperate with each other. Now, Guys, we know all the time, we, we work with guys who are like, I, I can't work with that guy. He's, he's just not, he hasn't got what it takes, you know, or we'll work with a guy and we, we almost immediately know whether we want to continue working with that person. So we know how to vet this for men. How come it's so hard for us to vet it for women? Because 
we are afraid to subject women to stress. Afraid that if we lead this woman who's not yet our wife, that she might leave us, that she's not going to like it, that we're going to get in an argument, that there'll be a confrontation. And as long as you fear those things, you can't test whether you guys get along under a stressful situation. So what do you need to do? You need to create situations that are a simulation of real life. Some of the greatest ones you can do is to take a woman on a hike in a mountain. It's going to combine. Uh, you're going to have to hike, so you're going to have to use some physical exertion. You're going to be out in the weather. You're going to have to prepare ahead, have her prepare the food. You're going to see if she's a complainer. Does she complain about her feet? Does she complain about the weather? Does she complain about being tired? And it, it's okay for her to be uncomfortable. That's not what you're looking for. You know, she, she's not a superwoman. How does she handle the discomfort? Does she complain about it or not? Uh, the two of you should go together and volunteer at your church or somewhere else where you're going to be assigned to help someone. So I remember my church, you get assigned, uh, there's an older lady and she needs her house painted. And she can't afford it. She's in the church. Well, she's going to buy the paint or we're going to buy the paint and we're going to go paint her house for her. The two of you go and paint a house together. Believe me, you'll know if you want to marry the woman or not. <laughs> that is a good, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, the similar thing is what is she already doing within the church related to that same topic? Like, is she already helping other people babysit? Are is she already cooking meals for those who are sick or for some of the older members? Is she already keeping the widow's company and listening to the council? There's lots of different things that she could be doing in a church that you can know about. And are people going to be sorry that she married you because she's already so useful? That's yes, a great sign. <laughs> li listen to her stories of how she interacted with other women in projects. So, the one that you'll you'll come across these women that have no female friends don't get along with women. Uh, sometimes that's because they have what we would call their male cognates, so they have a very masculine brain, and working with women is more difficult for those kind of women because the, it triggers them more than a man working with women. But you'll you'll you have to be wary of the women that can't work with other women because those women often can't work with other men either. They just can't work with anyone. And so listen to how she describes getting along or not getting along with other people. If she's going to do the same thing that she does to other people to you. So you want to find out how well does she communicate? What's her communication style? Is she, does she avoid conflict? Um, does she create conflict? Or does she seek out productive conflict? You want to learn about her emotional control by listening to her talk about times when she's needed to use emotional control. That's how you start. And then you want to see how emotionally controlled she is in your relationship. Now, she's still a woman, so she's not going to have complete and total emotional control. She's not going to be, you know, with, I describe men's emotions. It's kind of like they go into a room and there's a bunch of shelves and on the shelves there's boxes and in each box there's an emotion. And we'll walk into the room, we'll take a box out, we'll put it down on the table, pull out the emotion, and we'll completely engross ourselves in that emotion. 
when we're done, we put it back in the box, put it on the shelf. So these in-between periods where we basically have no emotion. With women, it's like all the emotions are small, colorful balls in a kiddie pool, and they're swimming through the kiddie pool. And they're touching all the emotions at once. And they're getting, you know, 15 different things going on in their head at once. And this is a difficult thing for them to go through. And so they're not going to have the same kind of emotional control we have. But they also can't have a childlike level of emotional control. You want to marry a, a mature woman. There's no reason that at 20 years old, she's not a mature woman. And no reason she should be crying on social media for likes. Mm. And Yeah. What does she do with her emotions is a big one. So, um, you know, I, I, I ch- children, they have the same thing. So there's a reason you have to learn to deal with this because you're going to have to learn to deal with it with your children eventually. So learn with your wife and you'll have the skills to deal with it with children. My son comes to me and, you know, he's angry about something and I, and I, and something angry with me. I, I think I put a limit on something and he got angry. He comes in and he says to me, I'm mad. I'm angry. I hate you. Blah, blah, blah. You know, the things that little kids say sometimes I'm like, I give him a big hug and I say, you have a right to those emotions. That's okay. You feel that way. He said, uh, I, I know that you don't really hate me. You just feel, bad at the moment and that's how you're how it's expressing itself but i love you anyway and i had to make these decisions because that's what's best for you and he thinks about it and he calms down i can see his breathing comes down you know he comes out of that agitated state he says i'm sorry dad i didn't really mean that i hate you i love you for real but i just was so frustrated that i couldn't do the thing that i wanted to do if a woman doesn't come out of these negative emotional states with love and comfort, if she remains in them for long periods of time, she needs some therapy, some coaching, something like this before she's ready for marriage. Now she can continue proceeding towards marriage if she's getting the help she needs, but it's not normal for an adult not to be able to regulate their own emotions, even for women. They may not regulate them the same way a man regulates them, but that's still expected. So the next thing you want to see is, does she follow your lead in the getting along part? Now, this, this, this overlaps onto the next subject as well, but does she follow your lead? So this is really easy to see. Um, we're going to a nice place tomorrow. Please wear a black dress and heels. And, and I'm going to pick you up at 6 o'clock. Is she ready on time? It, does she wear what you asked her to wear? How does she respond to that? You can't tell me what to wear. You know, do you, do you really want to deal with a, an infant, infantilized woman? No. You want a woman who says, he's, he's going to do something wonderful for me. All I have to do is put on nice clothes. Wow. This is so great. I'm, I'm so happy about this and grateful for it. Now, is she grateful that you're leading, that you're making decisions, that you're taking her places and doing things with her? Or is, does she resent any time that she has to contribute towards the mutual um, projects and mutual joy you have. You want to avoid those. You want to look for the gracious woman the woman who is grateful and who wants to be part of whatever you're doing. That's the woman you want to look for. 
Yeah, and it's not like she's necessarily going to be perfect at that, because none of us are perfect with submitting to those yeah. <laughs> over, over us. But yeah. there is a a direction of particular way she's going to lean her her tendency for that. Yeah, exactly. And and you're you're right about where you know. And none of these were looking for perfection. Um. You know, there, there is a standard of perfection just because there has to be some sort of standard, but we don't expect anyone to meet it. We're not going to meet a standard of perfection as a man. We cannot expect the women to meet that either. And the question really is, is how do you, and, and this, is, this is the key to happy marriages, how do you deal with it when you don't hit the, the level of perfection that you want? How do you deal with it when one or both of you fails to live up to the expectations how do you communicate your needs with each other? How do you resolve those conflicts? Marriage is essentially a long-term running conflict resolution project. We are continuing to resolve and to be productive together because you communicate and you enter into conflict when you don't agree. And the rest of the time, you're just proceeding forward. But that thing you're both approaching them in a mature way. They're an opportunity for you to align the family goals with what's beneficial for everyone. And that, that idea of conflict, um, because nowadays people don't communicate very well, they wait until they're so angry and hurt and resentful. Then they communicate. It's like a bomb exploding instead of like, you know, a pressure or an energy that they can use to move the marriage forward. It just explodes. Uh, we, we want to test for all of that. And all of the things I've talked about, they put the relationship under um, stress. And, and people, people think they want to avoid stress. That's not true. Stress is essential to health. You can't build muscles if you don't stretch your mu- stress your muscles. You can't build your mind if you don't stress it. The idea, though, is to have controlled stress in small bursts with plenty of recovery time and then reinvestment to build the relationship back up again. And a couple who've never had an argument, who've never had any stress, never had the relationship subjected to stress, have a very fragile relationship. They don't know what will happen if there's stress. So then what happens is they start avoiding everything that could cause stress, except all the best things in life cause stress. You know, buying a house, having children, um, just being together, all of these things, having people over to your house, associating, making friends, travel, all these things cause stress. If your goal is to avoid stress, you're going to have a boring, terrible life. Yeah, I was going to mention children. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if you're not used to stress, when you have your, your first child, you're going to have to get used to some stress. There's no way about it um no way around that absolutely but that is the best where the best things are they're on the outside of your comfort zone they are going to add some kind of weight to your life but yeah and in the in the beginning you start with very small things because you know you haven't built enough structure to some there isn't a relationship at first it's it's very fragile and you subject fragile things to very small stresses to get stronger you know, I got, I got three-year-old sons and I take them out walking and I, I walk them till they're done. Like t- till they just sit down and say no more. <laughs> and I can see them limping 
for like 20 minutes before they give up because they want to try to finish the walk. And this is because when they were smaller, I subjected them to ever increasing amounts of walking. So they'd walk short amounts and then longer and longer. And now they can walk for about an hour and 20 minutes uh, nonstop without getting tired. Well, that's, that's how we do it. We start with small amounts of stress on the fragile organism. The organism gets stronger from the stress and we're able to subject it to greater amounts of stress. Now, this should always be productive stress. If you, if you subject your partner, your spouse, your potential spouse to unproductive stress, you're just being cruel. This always has to be something productive. This is why I suggested volunteering, uh, having people over to one of your houses, uh, visiting each other's family. You'll find loads of stress there. Uh, so <laughs> these, these are places you can test, stress test the relationship. Now, the last one in this, how do you get along? This is really key. And this comes down to, this is a sub, sub part of communicate. Does she manipulate? Not just you, but other people as well. Does she manipulate? Is manipulation her primary way of getting what she wants? Is it something she'll resort to when she has to? Uh, or is it something she completely says, no, this I don't do this. Manipulation is much more common amongst women because it is it, it uses a tool set that they understand better. And so it's easier for them to apply it because it's easier. It's more common. And you need to understand what manipulation is. The main reason that I married the woman I married was because she does not manipulate. The other women that I liked, I had a few women that wanted to marry me around the time that I started dating my wife. The reason I didn't marry the other women is that they, and sometimes their families, were attempting to manipulate me into marrying them. And at the time, I didn't fully understand manipulation. I was a much younger man back then. But I had this deep instinct in me to say, I don't want to live with that the rest of my life. And I don't want to have to constantly be fighting it either. And so that's extremely important. You need to find out what manipulation is. If you don't know, I wrote a great book about it. Put it out about this time last year. It covers manipulation. Read the book. You'll be immune to manipulation because every time you face it, it's going to hit you that, hey, I'm being manipulated and you're going to understand how to extract yourself from that situation or how to shut it down. Because you can repair relationships where there's manipulation if you understand how to shut it down and redirect them towards um, uh, persuasion, which is the honest way to convince people versus manipulation, which is the dishonest way to convince people. So that, that covers the do you get along with her, basically. Part two, the second part. <laughs> So, and that book is called Become Immune to Manipulation. Yes, right. Become Immune. If you search my name on um, on Amazon, uh, it's almost every Amazon in the world it's on. So just search my name on Amazon, it'll appear. So even if you don't, I think there's some other places to buy it as well, but uh, that's that's the one that I know for sure it's there. That's the only book that's there for me. Yep. Yeah, I see a copy on Thrift Books even. So yeah, mm, it's great. everywhere. Excellent. <laughs> it's it's so, gone enough to where people have sold sold it for used copies and stuff like that. So, all right. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. So the first one, are you attracted to her? Great. We've covered that. Second part, do you get along with her? If that's true, she's girlfriend material. Okay. But you don't want a girlfriend. You want a wife. 
Okay. To know if she's going to be a good wife, you have to ask a few more questions. And the part three is determining, will she make a good wife? So some of the things that we looked at with, do I get along with her are pertinent to, does she make a good wife? But you need to add a few things. So first of all, <laughs> I wrote domestic kills, but I meant domestic skills here. Does she have the domestic skills necessary to be a wife? And this is one of those areas I'm very flexible on. I don't mind if a woman says, I really don't know how to cook, but I want to learn. I don't know how to clean the house, but I want to learn. Um, I, you know, I'm open to that. How do I do it? How do I be a good house manager how do i manage the house properly and it, the reason is is that most most young women are not being taught these skills by their mothers and a lot of mothers don't know the skills either so they can't teach what they don't know this leaves women with no with with a gap a big skills gap there so as long as she's willing to go out and learn and how do you know she's willing because say a person says i'm willing to do x okay show me I'm going to try this. This is, this is a low cost way to find out. Buy her a cookbook. Get her to cook the meals in the cookbook for her own family. If she lives on her own, then for herself. Get her to send you pictures of what she cooked or share what she cooked with you. Let her know that you appreciate her putting that effort in to learn. Yeah, well, you're going to pay 20 bucks for a cookbook. You can find out if she's willing to be a good wife for $20. It's cheap. That's really, really cheap. Give her a book. I suggest very much buying her, even if she is good at housekeeping, buy her the Maria Kondo, uh, the two primary Maria Kondo books. It's Spark Joy, and I can't remember what the other one's called. Those books are not just about the techniques of maintaining a house. They are the closest thing to, to kind of a feminine version of stoicism. She really is. She teaches well, you, she teaches the woman or, you know, it's actually can be useful for men too. Uh, when you, when you're living on your own, she, and I, I used it for my children as well to teach them the right attitude about house maintenance. It is a privilege to live in a home. It's a privilege to have things to clean. It is a privilege to have a man that takes care of you if you're a woman. It is a privilege to live in a place where you have running water and cleaning chemicals and a roof over your head and windows. And you should look at your home and look at the maintenance of your home as a privilege, not a chore. And you should do it with joy. You should clean the house with joy. This, this is um, – the opposite of what many young people have been subjected to where cleaning is a form of punishment. House maintenance is a form of punishment. And so you want to give this to her so she can start to cultivate that mindset. Give it to her. Say, oh, I'd love you to read these books. I think these would be so good for you. You have to do it not in a, like, you're deficient. Here, <laughs> here's a book. It's it, it can't be like that. It needs to be done with love. And then ask her what she's learning. Don't say, did you read the book? Have you complied with my wishes? No, that, that's very harsh. That's not leading. Ask her what is her favorite thing she learned from the book. Okay, see, this, this way you're asking her questions that touch her heart versus ordering her around. And that's going to get a lot better results with women. 
You also want to check if she is a conscientious woman. The less conscientious, you, you can absolutely gauge a woman's conscientiousness by the state of her home. But if she lives with her parents, you're not going to find that out until you, after you're married. So you have to, I have to other ways of figuring that out. I suggest that both couples, both in a couple, do a big five personality test before marriage to find out um, things like conscientiousness. It's a personality trait and it covers how it, it covers your desire to do whatever you do well. This is essential to being a good wife. Most women will do the very minimum necessary on everything. We'll do the absolute minimum necessary to not get fired. The thing is, is if you take marriage seriously and divorce isn't an option, that minimum can be really, really low. Yeah. And I, I understand why women do that. They're conserving energy. And throughout most of human history, the minimum effort was the right thing to do. We would do everything minimum effort for women. Women would do minimum effort to have as much energy as possible to make as many children as possible. That was the, the trade-off. So they were still busy. They just had minimum effort in any one specific area. We don't live in that world anymore. Men, men couldn't do that. We had to put maximum effort for, forth because if we weren't 100% busy to the point where we ground down to the nubs, um, then we would be called lazy. <laughs> so we were like, we were maximum effort. But they had to be very conservative and conserve their energy for more and more children. We're not in that world anymore. Now we need women who are conscientious, who are going to put the, you know, the choices they could make 200 years ago were all good choices. You can make a bunch of these good choices. Some are slightly better than others. You know, nowadays, a woman has to go shopping. She has to be like, what's in the food I'm buying? Uh is this poisonous? You know, is this hurting my family's health? I, I'm going to clean the house now. Are these chemicals destroying my family's lungs? And they have to, there's so many things they have to think about that you didn't have to think about 150, 200 years ago. They just weren't a problem. You know, women did have to be very conscious about cleanliness and that thing, that kind of stuff in the past. But today it's so much harder. My great grandmother told me when her mother was, raising her and her siblings that she had less work to do than your average woman does today. And she said, women today are so busy. They're incredibly busy. A lot of that's just busy. It's not anything productive, but they're so busy. And because their life is so complicated, but you want a woman who's conscientious. Is she careful about how she spends your money? Is she careful about how she spends her time? Is she careful and conscientious about what she does with her life. Uh, a, a high conscientiousness woman does not need to be directed much by her husband. She's pretty much tell her, tell her the main objective of the family. And she just goes out and does it. Proverbs talks about this women at the end of Proverbs. That is a high conscientiousness woman. Now, I don't expect all women to be at the, you know, conscientiousness comes in a spectrum and I don't expect all women to be on the high side of that. But you need to know what you're getting into. If she's lower in conscientiousness, she better be higher in humility and agreeableness to listen to you because you're going to have to give her a lot more instructions on what to do. But if she's low in agreeableness and low in conscientiousness, you are going to have a real rough life if you marry that woman. So you have to take that into account. 
Because here's the deal. If you accept that, you can't get upset about it afterwards because you knew what you were getting into. This is what vetting's about. Vetting's not just about picking the best woman. It's about doing your due diligence so that when you make your decision, you own it. You're fully invested in that decision that you made. You get exactly what you chose. And you're now so, responsible for it. Yes, and you're now and responsible, responsible for, for her. Exactly, exactly. So the other is, what's her attitude like towards marriage and adultery? Here's a good one. Almost everybody's parents seem to be divorced nowadays. And I wouldn't hold that against a woman that her parents were divorced. Instead, what I would ask her is, why do you think your parents got divorced? What do you think led up to that? What do you think they could have done differently? What did you learn from your parents' divorce that you want to make sure to apply in your marriage? So a woman who's gone through their parents divorcing is more likely to get divorced. Why? Because she's often going to copy the exact same things her parents did and repeat them unless she's learned the lesson from it. And here's the thing. She might not have learned the lesson from it until you stimulate her to connect the dots. So this is an area where during the dating, you can actually, you, you can add value to her and you can lead her to the right answers. You know, what's her attitude toward adultery? There's a lot of people out there that's like, well, you know, if, and, you know, they're looking for an excuse for every possible bad thing. That is, that is not something you want to go anywhere near because you can't change a attitudes on these things you can't change a person's attitude it is what it is yeah and you you're gonna have to if the thing is is you can't assume just because they're a christian that their attitudes towards adultery are that it's completely unacceptable you can't assume just because someone's a christian just because they're in the same church as you you can't assume anything you need to ask because if you don't ask they, they might go to a church. Lots of people go to a church and don't agree with half the things in the church. As long as they're not vocal about it, they won't get kicked out. So you want to ask these things. Here's the other thing. What's her family like? Because the woman's ability to be a good wife is, is connected to her family. What I mean by that is, will her family interfere with her being a good wife? Are they neutral? Or are they going to make her a better woman? Are they going to encourage her to be a good wife? And you want to figure that out. Now, this isn't a, you know, this isn't a pass fail thing. This is, this is, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what the cost is. If I marry this woman, I'm going to have to deal with her mother and her father and her siblings. And what's that like? Is that something I want to tolerate? Is this woman so fantastic that I'll deal with a terrible mother-in-law? And hey, that can be that. Maybe that's a trade-off you choose to make, but you need to make that trade-off with, with proper due, your due diligence first. Now, this, this covers the good wife part. It's, it's actually easier to test than do you get along to some extent because it's, it's a lot of, there's a bunch of pass-fail things and a bunch of things that are just cost, and you, you know you can find these things out. In order to find out the family, you do have to visit them and spend time with them. But you can often do that while you're checking if you get along. And then you go through that second list and you'll, you'll just apply what you already learned. The last thing is, will she make a good mother? Sorry, you had something you wanted to say. Go ahead. 
Oh no, I was I was just going to agree with that. If you can meet the family as soon as possible, if if you know you get along with her and she's attractive, you know, get to know her family. Don't wait until it's too late <laughs> or you're already attached and all of a sudden you realize, oh crap. Yeah. I met I met my wife met my wife and on the beach and so I'm talking with her and an hour later I'm like mm, I think I'm going to marry this woman and then I'm like didn't you come here with your family and she's like yeah I'm like where's your mom and dad I want to go talk to your dad <laughs> and uh, and so I'm like she she she's like oh he's down the beach there I go let's go she didn't know what it was about <laughs> she yeah. didn't she didn't know I liked her at the time. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, I go meet her dad. I meet her dad. I meet her mom. Um, I'm like, okay, I, I, I can, these people are fine. This is good. This is all good. Uh, then I go, cause uh, the same church, uh, but different countries, you know, same, same religion. I go then to church. And I'm like, uh, can I talk to one of the, you know, one of the elders in the church? And I take a side. I'm like, Oh, what's her dad? Like, I don't care about what she's like. I'm asking what first, what her dad's like, what's her dad like? What's what's, how do you feel about him? What's his reputation? And then I'm, I'm vetting the father, <laughs> I'm vetting the mother-in-law. <laughs> and then, because I, if I don't like them, to me, there's no point in asking the woman out if I don't like her parents. And then I'm like, okay, what do you think about her? And I, it's all, all positive. In fact, it got more positive. They had a better uh, opinion of her because they knew her better too, but they had a better opinion of her even than her father and mother. And I thought, this is great. This is perfect. Uh, so then, that otherwise, I wouldn't have continued on. I would have, even if I, though I liked her, I would have crushed that feeling down. Because I don't, I don't want to get hooked into something that isn't going to make a viable long-term marriage. Now, this all that we've covered so far is enough to get married. And if you're too old to have children, because there's a lot of my clients are past the age where they want to have kids. If you're too old to have kids, you've already got everything you need to know. The rest isn't important. But here's the thing. If you're younger and you want to have kids, you need to have number four. Will she make a good mother? We know what it takes to make a good father. We talk about that a lot. You talk about that. I talk about it. Our circle talks endlessly about what makes a good father. We don't talk very much about what makes a good mother. Now, you know, because you've seen your wife take care of your kids. Have you noticed how you i'm sure you've noticed how fragile they are at the beginning the babies yeah and, and we, you, we've you, had we had yeah. two premature babies too ah, two of us were premature and so it was even more so so yeah yes. same same here same here uh my 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 oldest actually even though he wasn't premature he was so delicate when he was born and and i go to stroke his face and i'm like i i would do weightlifting i used to be a construction worker um, I'm a very physically active guy. So my hands are covered in calluses and I tried to stroke his cheek and my fingers like sticking like sandpaper. And I thought I better not do this until he gets a bit older for the first four or five years of his life. I'd say, hey, you want to cuddle? And he says, I prefer to cuddle mom. She's softer. <laughs> and that's you're all be, bones. Right? <laughs> yeah. You're all bones, dad. You're all bones and muscle. I, it's, this isn't fun. And yeah, he, he would want to always be near me and touching me, but he didn't like, if he was, if he needed a good cuddle, it's soft, you know, women's it's, it's funny how many men don't have enough contact. I don't have enough connection with women to even know this women's skin is so soft. 
they have three times more uh, sensors in the skin that touch sensors than we do. My wife can touch the kids and like sense things about them by touch and by smell and, and whatnot and by the sound of their crying. And I'm like, yep, they're crying. I, I'm actually pretty good at telling if they're what they're crying about. But everything else, you know, they have this magic woman ability to to, to look after babies. Yep, even but not, but not all women, not all not all women have that. You know, yep. he, here here's the thing: the more feminine the woman, the more you're going to have to deal with some of those things I mentioned earlier, like the emotions and all of that. Um, the more that you're going to have to comfort her, the more you're going to have to protect her, the more you're going to have to guide her, but the better a mother she will be to your baby, to your very young children. That femininity comes with the softness, the gentleness, and the patience. Women are so patient to do the most boring things for hours a day for weeks with small children because children, you know, they're not that exciting when they're little. They don't do anything. And they'll spend all of that time with them, and they're absolutely enraptured by it and thrilled by it. But if you have a woman that's, you know, more on the less on the feminine side, more on the masculine side, who might be a little easier to get along with because she's got that male brain, she's going to have a harder time with all of those th- simple things. They're going to drive her nuts. You know, we we joke about women being childlike. That's that's a uh, feature, not a flaw. They're supposed to be childlike so that they can deal with the children without going crazy. And, you know, if you're a guy and you had to look after very young children for a while, you'll notice how, let's say, emasculating it is if you're doing it too much. Because you have to be, in order to get along with them, you have to be so soft. I'm talking like baby age. So soft that it's very difficult to do that as a man. And so you want to have a woman that takes that role for you. The same as when the kids are older. You know, my nine-year-old, I discipline it. My wife doesn't. Because... She's soft. She deals with the babies. I deal with the older kids. The older kids, they want a man to tell them what to do. And the younger kids, they want a woman to comfort them. It's completely normal. So you're looking for that. And the way you can see it is see how she picks up children. One of the first questions I have when I have new female clients that are looking for a relationship, when's the last time you held a baby? Mm, That's a good question. Yep. <laughs> if you're a woman and you here, here's here's the golden nugget from this entire conversation for women. If you're a woman and you want to get married, the more time that you spend holding babies, the faster you're going to get to the point where you get married. It, it look at it as magic. That's what it is. You hold babies and suddenly you're going to have one because your your whole being will become aligned with attracting a man that wants to give you a baby as soon as you um, start holding them more often. So seek that out. I, I have met women in their 20s who have never held a baby. But this is the other thing my great-grandmother said to me. She said uh, she helped. She was the uh, oldest daughter and the second child. She said, I helped my mother give birth to half my brothers and sisters at home by ourselves. Having a baby was just a normal thing. You know, it was a completely normal part of life, like baking a cake or, you know, having guests over or anything like this. It was just part of life. And so women, she says, women in her age didn't have a fear of childbirth 
because they'd seen it happen over and over again to the point where it was so normal for them. It's just a thing you do if you're a woman. Well, women who are holding babies, women who are interested in babies, those kind of women are primed to be good mothers. And if you are a woman and you're not interested in those things, it's because you haven't been exposed to them. Go expose yourself to babies. Be careful. You'll catch baby rabies. It's a good thing, though. Yep. So the, the other church. the other thing about sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, a church with a lot of crying going on during the services. It's a prime spot to where people are more than happy to hand you a baby. I, I guarantee so. you, go go make friends with those young mothers. I guarantee you, they would love to have a couple hours off to go with their husband once in a while on on a date on a Saturday, and you can look after the baby for two or three hours. Mm-hmm. You do that. You do that twice a, a month. And you're going to feel comfortable with babies. And I'll tell you something. There's the most attractive thing to a man when for, that wants a, um, a, a woman to be a mother of his children is to see how she deals with children. If you see, excuse me, if you see her dealing with babies with skills, you know, she knows what she's doing. That is so attractive because we know that at the moment, that's kind of a rare skill. Now, even, even my wife, uh, she figured it out. She said to me, I'm a woman. How hard can it be? I'll figure it out. It's like, go along. <laughs> and and she did. She figured out she went along. But it's a lot was a lot harder for her than it would have been, say, for her great-grandmother, who was born into being a wife and mother. That's what all women were born into back uh, in the past. And now they're they're just not cultivated in that direction. It's harder for them. Doesn't mean they can't do it, but it's harder. The other thing you want to look at in a good mother is, does she have good health? I'm talking mental, emotional, spiritual, physical. Is her health good in all ways? And is she doing what's necessary to keep it good? Is she maintaining that? Uh, part of that is age as well. You know, I'm I'm not one of these ones like you. And you can't ha- get pregnant after the age of 28. That's impossible. Um, but you know, <laughs> my wife I, would would definitely be surprised at that notion. <laughs> yeah, I I. I know someone who was an early client of mine about 10 years ago, and I helped her get uh, break her relationship with a long-term boyfriend who was never going to marry her and get together with a guy who pregnant immediately, <laughs> you know, um, and, and she's now got kids and she's super happy. Well, she's, I think, the fifth child her mother had, and she had all of her children after the age of 40. She had wow. five kids after the age of 40. They're all healthy. The mother's healthy. Um, the, I think the mother was military. And so she didn't start having kids till she uh, retired from the military. And I think she never planned on having kids. And then she decided she wanted to. And actually, I don't even think she decided she wanted to. I think it just happened. Um, so I wouldn't plan on that. If you're a woman, I'd plan on having kids as young as possible. And here's the reason. My wife had our first kid when we were both 35. Uh, it would have been a lot easier if we were 25. We had twins at 40. That means at 60, <laughs> I'm going to be a 60-year-old man with two 20-year-old sons. And they're going to want to go, hey, Dad, you want to come box in the backyard with us? You want to go ride a bike with us? I'm like, I'm a 60-year-old man. <laughs> but no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it even if it kills me because that's what I took on. So I got to look after myself. I got to take good care of myself. Um, but it's a whole lot easier to do these things 
if you're in your 20s when you start having your kids than it is if you're older. Uh, so you, you do want to look at that. And again, does her family encourage her to be a mother? Will her family support her efforts to be a mother? So women need their mother and their sister, if they have any, their sister's support when they have children. Uh, if you have a great church and a great social circle, that can kind of take the place of it, but nothing takes the place of mom. Now, this isn't to say that a woman who doesn't have a mother or who has an estranged mother can't be a good mother herself, but it's something to take into, ca- into consideration. If she doesn't have family, my wife has family, but they're an hour away and her mother's health is very fragile. Um, her Her parents were so poor and my mother-in-law was pregnant with my, with my wife. They were so poor, they couldn't afford to eat. And she lost all of her teeth. And she couldn't nurse because she was almost dead. So, you know, we, we talk about poverty, but here in Europe, there was lots of poverty, um, you know, up, in, up until the 90s in some parts of Europe were quite poor. So, yeah, because of that, her health now is quite fragile. And she can't really help with the kids a lot. She can't lift them. She's not allowed to lift anything heavy. And you can't look after children if you can't lift them. So I had to take that into consideration. And I have, uh, I hired a housekeeper to help my wife out. No, normally they'd have the help of their mother. I made a substitute for something to help her instead. So it's not a choose or don't choose based on this. It's apply this wisdom to know what the cost of marrying that woman is. Think of it like that. Think of it not in terms of good and bad, but in terms of costs and rewards. And look for a woman that, you can afford. You need to be able to afford the time and energy and money necessary to take care of that woman and the children you produce. The last one, of course, is does she want children? A woman can be a perfect potential mother, but if she doesn't want children, then she's not going to make a good mother. Now, of course, that can change, but don't count on it changing. Now, I will tell you a secret. I talk to a lot of young women and most of them say that they either don't want children or want children in the far future or only want one or two. And you know what? They're lying. The reality is, is, and they're not lying because they're trying to be dishonest. They're, they're, they're telling themselves a story that they need to tell themselves to emotionally cope with their current situation. A woman who is not currently with a man that she wants to impregnate her will not want children. So you may not be at that point in your relationship. She trusts you enough. When she says she doesn't want kids, what she means is she doesn't want kids with you right now. It doesn't mean she doesn't want kids with you later or she doesn't want kids um, later with somebody else. If you're, you know, if you're very early in the relationship, she needs to get to a point where she trusts you and trusts herself and she's ready. And then all of a sudden she's, she'll say, yes, I want kids. Uh, you might, you might be familiar with that, um, that uh, idea of, you know, saying to someone, um, how would you feel if you hadn't eaten breakfast this morning? The person says, but I did eat breakfast. Okay. It's the same thing. It's, it's, do you want children is the hypothetical that short circuits a woman's brain and makes it very, very hard for her to give you an, an, honest answer she gives you the answer of how she feels at the moment that's okay but you you need to dig past that if you want to marry her 
Um, usually if she says she wants one or two kids, then that means she'll be okay with more kids. Uh, and you don't really need to dig a lot deeper. Um, but if, if she says she doesn't want any kids, you need to push. My, my wife said that at some points, I, I don't want any kids. And I understood exactly what it was is because she didn't see any, she didn't know any men. This is before we were, we were just beginning to date. She didn't know any men that she trusted enough to have children with. And here's the big one. Women don't trust themselves to raise children very often because they weren't trained to be mothers. And so they're not saying, I, I don't want children. They're saying, I can't handle it. And therefore, I will pretend I don't want the thing I can't have because it's too emotionally hard to want it, not be able to have it. And th this is an area where you really have to, Lisa, this is the very last question in this series is because to get the truth, you need to have already a very trusting relationship with her. You need to have already developed quite a bit of trust and you need to have a depth to that relationship so that she feels safe to answer that question. Here's the other way you can ask it for her. Instead of, do you want children? You ask her, um, do you like children? Okay. Because this she can answer right now. Sure, she likes other people's kids. Well, that's a great, that's good. It's a good place to start. How do you feel? Always ask women about feeling questions, not what they think about stuff. Ask feel. How do you feel about holding your own children one day? You have to make it very, very embodied and emotional when you ask this question. This is not an analytical question. This is an emotional question. And then this is even better is if you ask her that while she's holding a baby. Have her hold a baby while she's holding the baby. While you see her start to get those soft eyes they get and that kind of blush and that like they're, 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 they're contact, contact, um, they're uh, catching baby fever. So if you see her catching baby fever, you ask her that. How do you feel about having one of these one day? You'd make a great mother. Okay, because you're helping her get over her insecurity about that. And then she can finally tell you the truth. And this is not because they're lying or deceptive. It's, it's too painful for them to tell you the truth until they feel that security. So that's, that's the last question that I would that I have my clients go through when they're trying to vet a woman. That's the last part of that vetting process. If anyone has any questions or any comments, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, we'll open it up. And while people uh, do that, Noah, how long do you think this should take typically? Oh yeah, this is a great. Um, I think that the art, do you find her attractive? You can, you can tell before you talk to her. Uh, but sometimes I met girls that were attractive the first time I met them. And the second time I didn't find them attractive anymore <laughs> or vice versa. Uh, so I would say, you know, by the second or third date, you know, if she's sufficiently attractive, that that is no longer an issue. Um, do you get along with her? There is no reason that you can't tell that in, you know, one to one to three months maximum and the rest of it, another three months maximum. So between the first date um, and you know, you're ready to propose is six months. If it takes you longer than that, you're, you're just not vetting aggressively enough. You need to put more effort into it. Uh, now this is assuming you're going to see her fairly often. You're going to contact her fairly often. 
And it's assuming you're going to be bold in leading the vetting process. Now, this is the problem is most men are not bold enough. They're too hesitant. They're too worried. Is she going to like me or not? Why do you care if she likes you or not? If she goes on the next date with you, she likes you. If she doesn't, go find another woman and start the process again. You know, you, you have to uh, disconnect emotionally from having it to, from it having to be that woman. You need to find a woman. It may not be that woman. So keep that in mind. That's one of the biggest mistakes I think, especially young men today can fall into is they get fixated on one woman before she's ever even thought about them in any way whatsoever. And so you've got to be able to move on after you get the yes or no, the thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. And and the vetting process, like if you come across something in the vetting process that is not going the way you want, um, here's, here's a great one. You get to a point where uh, she's not communicating well with you, you know, or she's trying to manipulate you address it directly. Like just, just be a hundred percent bold about it. Don't do it in a way that'll embarrass her in front of people, but address it. Like, you know, I like you. I would never have asked you on a date if I didn't like you. And you understand by now that I'm vetting you. Like I want to get married at some point and I'm vetting you towards that. But this thing you're doing, I, I will not tolerate this. I will not accept being treated this way. Like she can behave any way she wants over there away from you. But if she wants to do that around you, then she's got to see that it's putting, um, it's, it's imposing a cost on you. You have to explain that to her and you, you have to, you'd be surprised how little women know about relationships. So do men, men don't know much either, but you'd be surprised how quickly they respond to positive um, declarations of what you want. They, they don't know. They want you to tell them. They want you to let them know, what is it, what do I need to do to make you happy? If they like you, this is, if they like you. If they don't like you, they're not going on dates with you. So, you know, if they're going on dates with you, they like you. If they like you, they want to know how to please you. That's a normal thing. That's what women want to do. They want to please their man. They want to please their children. This is a normal thing. Men want to make their wife happy. They want to make their children happy. Normal thing. We, we, we should love each other and want to make each other happy. And so you need to let her know, don't, don't hesitate. Don't hold back. Be angry about it. You need to tell her these things with no emotions. I'm, I will not tolerate this kind of behavior. I'm not angry at you. I know that you don't know how to deal with me. I'm going to let you know how to deal with me. So that in the future you deal with me differently. And, and Hey, if you, if you say that's, that's not acceptable, no problem. You know, no harm, no harm, no foul. We just won't see each other again. Okay. Uh And this is why you have to put the relationship under stress because that's the only way you can see the real her. That's the only way that you see the real you, by the way, as a, as a man, you're going to have all kinds of inadequacies coming up during this process. You think you're vetting her, you're vetting yourself as a husband as well. Men vet women. They also vet themselves. They have to vet themselves. And the reason is if, if you can't go through this process and lead it, because you have to lead the vetting process just like you lead the marriage afterwards, then you're not ready to get married yet, which is okay. Go get help. Talk to me. 
I will help you not just through the process, but I will help you with all the inadequacies that the process brings up in you. Mm-hmm. Okay, if anybody's got any questions, feel free to ask. I know this was pretty exhaustive, so you may not have any questions. Yeah, feel free to tag us afterward, too. But um, Noah, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your thoughts. I think if you've been listening, I think you'll agree this was excellent. And uh, he, he dropped a few thousand dollars worth of information in this space. So this will be put up as a podcast as well. Um, but yeah, if you want to check out more, noahrevoy.com and uh, his book, Become Immune to Manipulation. And that will end it there. Any final Fantastic. words? <laughs> yeah, you know, th- this, was a, this was a vetting masterclass. And I think it's important, just as important for women to listen to this, because this is also a list of things that women can do to make themselves more attractive as well. And the, the more attractive you are, the higher quality of men you will have. And believe it or not, many of the things that I described here will turn off the wrong kind of man. People think that you know the more attractive you are, you're just going to get more men attracted to you. No, you change the type of men that are attracted to you. So I think this is very valuable for both men and women. And I, I really would call it a vetting masterclass. Yeah, I would not disagree with that. Uh, thanks again. I appreciate it. No problem. Have, Have a good, good day, evening. y'all. Bye. Yeah.